alcoholic. How are y'all doing? Good. Good to be back. I love this area. Uh, you know, uh, all my husband did such a good job. I just I love him. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I said, Jim, I thought we were clear we weren't going to do this on a relationship. He goes, no, don't you remember the emails? And he started reminding me of the emails back and forth. And I looked at him and I went, yeah, I do remember that. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm wrong. That's, uh, so at some point, I thought this was going to be a third step workshop and that it was about relationships. However, it's going to be a third step workshop. Uh, uh, but, but here's the deal. The truth is, is that, you know, the 12 and 12 says that we are incapable of forming a true partnership with another human being. I mean, are they mincing any words there? True partnership. That means a neighbor, a brother, a sister, a lover, a sponsor. I mean, a true partnership with another human being. We are incapable of doing that. I mean, ask yourself that question. How, how long do relationships last you? How well do you get along with your neighbor? Do you treat your neighbor like you treat your, whatever that spiritual scripture is, treat your neighbor like, well, there you have it. See? <laughs> treat your neighbor poorly. Okay, I'm, I'm on it. And, uh, and, but that's, that's the deal is um, when we get with people, especially here's a, here's a good example. When you get with a sponsor, oh, my gosh, you look at them and you love them and, oh, I mean, this is the best and you just think it's great. And about six months later, you're trying to find another sponsor. You don't know how to let her down, but she's really talking about it. And that's what we do. Most of us, this is a question I've asked around the country. How many people are currently married? Look around the room, folks. We are a minority. Oh, I'm proud of it. But it's a lot of darn work. Now, here's the question. I love this one. Look around the room. How many of us have been married before? Raise your hand. Well, there you have it. There's, I mean, now, how many have been married more than once? I mean, it starts to become the way, you know. Woo! Mark used to say, you can ask an alcoholic if they're married, and they'll give you a 15-minute answer. That's a yes or no question. It really is. It's, and, uh, but here's the deal. I, I love the unity of marriage. I'm all about marriage, and I think it is, it is a wonderful thing. And the problem is, it's like the, the Al-Anon had said earlier today, he said we have a tendency to say things like, uh, uh, well, I know i got a broke picker. It's still always blaming the other person. See, that's, we, we alcoholics are hypocrites. To the core of our being, we are hypocrites. When something has been done to me, I want justice. But if I do the exact same thing, I want to explain to you what I did. Now, hold on just a minute. It's a little different situation, you know. I have to answer my cell phone because. I know I don't normally do that in a meeting. But if you answer your cell phone in a meeting, I mean, if y'all ever seen that first one, the cell phone rings. What the hell was that back there? And they better not answer it. They better turn it off by ring three. By ring six. You know, but now if mine goes off, I'm going to have to explain to you what was going on. You know, I had a babysitter at home, and it's the first time I've had this babysitter, and you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's, we've always got the story. 
but we have no patience, no tolerance for another person's shortcomings. Very good. On, on the page 19 of the book, I love this one. It says, most of us sense the real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints uh, and a respect for their opinions or attitudes, which make us more useful. I'll put that in better layman terms. Oh, honey, I forgot to turn my timer on. I, I just got started. Just eight, eight of four minutes of my time. And uh, usually that's me on him, but he got me that time. I'll give it to him. So when it says most of us sense the real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints, you know what that's saying, guys? The person that bugs the crap out of you is your guiding light. Now, I don't know about you, but the person that bugs the crap out of me, just get out of my way. Move out of my life. Move. Get out of here. And that's how I like to deal with it. I don't like to go to spiritual help to get to love and tolerance. Let's just everybody think of the person in an A meeting that bugs the crap out of you. Did that take long to pick somebody? You know what I mean? And, and they're in my home group, and they've been in my home group forever, and blah, 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 blah. And that's what I'm talking about. So it says... Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depends upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. My life depends on it. That's a big statement. So what I've got to do is I've got to do the spiritual work behind it to get to compassion because on my own, I don't have the power to get there, guys. I do not have the power to have compassion for you when you piss me off. When you piss me off, I'm pissed. And then I get about three people that agree with me. And I feel so much better. You know. And so, now granted, as you get sober, the longer you get sober, you either live in that spot or it starts to disturb you so badly that you're forced to accept spiritual help. Right? That's kind of where we all get. Oh, I've been sober since October 29th, uh, 28th of 1984, and that's uh, 30 years as of last Tuesday. And uh, I can tell you in 30 oh, thank you very much. Yeah. It's good sponsorship and a loving God and what's everything else? Charlie. And Charlie's help. Uh, I've been able to stay sober. Um, it's funny. Is, is that written somewhere that they got to all say that, or is that just in your community that everybody starts out their sobriety with that, those three lines? Oh, it's just here? Because I'm thinking, well, somebody's good. Somebody has sent Cincinnati on their ear. That you don't ever introduce yourself without those three lines, period. That's an impressive person I'd like to meet, and we probably go toe-to-toe. Um, you know, but, but the thing about relationships, guys, it also says on page 19, it says, we feel the elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. Did any of y'all kind of croak on that one? I thought that was the finish line. But a beginning of what? It says, a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. I love that it starts with homes because that's where most of us spend our time, with family. Then our occupations are work and our affairs are alcoholics anonymous. It's hoping that if you've got your life in that order. Some people hide out in alcoholics anonymous to stay away from their families. You know what I mean? If, if I sponsor you, it won't be working that way. And uh, But it's interesting because print. Somebody's still phone just went off. Let's stare at him, can we? But, uh, so, 
the, um, but a lot of times, you know, some, sometimes you'll see in AA that principles, there has been a principle put for every step. Step one is honesty. Step two. Well, a lot of that comes from the treatment centers, and that's not necessarily the principles that the book is talking about. Study the literature, you'll begin to see that the principles are on page XBI. And XBI, it says, um, Convinced of the need for a moral inventory, confession of our personal defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and a necessity on a belief in a dependence upon God. Those are what our principles are, that we must see when disturbed, we are to work these steps in order to get undisturbed. Remember, this whole process is about getting unblocked. That's the purpose of the steps. We don't get unblocked and stay unblocked. Oh, no, I thought we did. I thought once I did it, I'm, thank God I'm at the finish line. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I've worked the steps, as if there's an end. And uh, it's circular, not linear. And so the third step is the most misunderstood step. I I didn't get it. I really didn't believe I was selfish and self-centered. Now, I knew I was when I drank. But, I mean, you guys, I was voted most likable four years in a row in high school. Go ahead. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Do you have any idea how much work that is to be most likable? I mean, i got to suck up to the nerds, to the jocks. i got to suck up to everybody. And I did a good job. Now, I am not selfish and self-centered because I was voted most likable. Now, Charlie, on the other hand, was obviously selfish and self-centered. You could watch him work in AA and go, oh, my God, that's the most self-centered guy I've ever seen. So I realized at that point, oh, he's, he's willing to admit it. And uh, I realized at that point that I wasn't and he was. So that part of the book didn't apply to me. I know I'm not alone in that thinking. Right? You can nod your head. Go ahead. Be with me. Oh, yeah. I mean, every once in a while, I might be a little self-centered, but not like Charlie was. And remember, we were best friends. Charlie was the kind of guy who, you know, when there was the, the, the crazy, cute girl. And you know when I talk about crazy, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about certifiably crazy. Issues other than alcoholism. We are a hotbed of all kinds of folks. Are you with me on that? And I swear, the crazier a girl was, Charlie was just like... Ooh. You know, and I'm his best friend. I'm going, Charlie, she's crazy. And he goes, I know, but she's pretty. You know, and then you just lose him to the whole thing, you know. And I mean, it was just so obvious to me to see how shallow that was. And I'm his best friend, right? Now, keep in mind, I'm a girl, but I'm his best friend. And so I could tell him, you're crazy, man. You've lost your mind, Charlie. And so this went on several times, and I clearly made a decision that I was not self-centered. So that part of the book didn't apply to me. I really believe that drinking was my problem. Get the drink off of me, and I'm a good person. See, and he was explaining that rest of terrible discontent. In the third step, it says, I'm almost always in collision with something or somebody even though my motives are good. What I didn't realize, see, this is what I see happens to me today. I come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and everybody's about teaching you to be a, a, a person of your word, integrity, dignity, honor, respect, helpful. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's what we're taught when we come into AA. We have to throw away these old concepts and get new concepts. So I'm all about helping. Well, after about a year of picking up the tables and chairs and cleaning the ashtrays, I started to notice that Michelle's standing over there talking to all the cute boys. That's kind of pissing me off, you know. 
I'm the one that does all the work here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it weren't for me, that coffee wouldn't have been made. But not one person has said thank you, Katie, for all of you do. See, and all of a sudden that kind motive turns against me. And the next thing you know, I'm coming into my family and they're really not appreciating like they should. You know, I'm out there busting my butt, but everybody wants a piece of me. You know what I mean? And that's what ends up happening. So behind this kind motive, I don't see that I'm in constant collision. I have absolutely no idea what my motives are going to be. I don't even know I have a motive. Have you ever heard somebody say, check your motives? I'm sorry, you can't. I mean, yes, every once in a while when it's obvious what I want to do. But have you ever done something and everybody's pissed off at you? And then when you do the inventory work is when you see what your motive was. See, I don't even know I have a motive till, you're, till I'm pissed off at you or till I'm scared. I don't get it. And that's the whole purpose of the process, right? That's what the third step is trying to launch me into this understanding. And then the tenth step, it says we, we've ceased fighting anything or anyone. This position of neutrality, safe and protected. Oh, my gosh, guys. When I'm in that spot in the tenth step, it's talking about like a self-centered fear. I'm definitely afraid I'm not going to get what I think I need or lose what I got. I'm afraid I'm not going to get the job. I got the job. Now I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. I'm afraid I'm not going to get the guy. I get the guy. Now I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. That's self-centered fear. It's like a ping-pong ball back and forth. That's why I'm in constant collision because it's always changing. It's a shape-shifter, man. I am always, I am driven by so much fear. But fear is not the root of my problem. Selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my troubles. I'm driven by the fear. And what does that mean? Fear is the match that lights everything. It's the igniter. It's the old ideas. What old idea is driving me? It's scaring the crap out of me. And that's where I got the body of work. For me to know that I'm selfish and self-centered will do very little at getting me to be any less selfish and self-centered. And so... And the second step, I mean, the third step is way more than just a prayer. It is that the prayer is the affirmation of what we've just made the decision on. When it says that we're willing to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand it, it says just what do we mean by that and what do we do? Well, that's what it's talking about. It's getting ready to tell me what we mean by that in the next page and a half and what we do on the next half a page. That is a legitimate question. I don't know about you guys, but the first time I heard my will, I didn't even know what you were talking about. I mean, what is my will? I'm a strong-willed Gale. I got a level of self-reliance that scares me. I mean, you, I tell you, if you need me, you, you say, you, I, I bet you can't get a picture with the president. Not that I'm the biggest fan, you don't get me wrong. But, you know, I think you don't think I can? Watch me. I mean, I am that kind of Gale. Don't dare me. Don't double-dog dare me. I'll do it. I will do it because I've got a level of self-reliance that is frightening. That's the only tool I came in here with. And that's the tool you want me to set down for this spiritual tool? But I'll tell you, I am. And I'll do, it, I'll do it in certain areas when I really need God's help. But I mean, not in my marriage. And I mean, with my kids, I probably don't need it. I mean, if I have a big problem, I'll call God in. But odds are I'm probably not going to. Because of my self-reliance. So I'm going to manage my problems. And that's where I get into trouble. Here's the real tricky part. Some of my management works. Show goes off great. 
I'm happy as a clown. Everybody's behaving. They got their script that morning. It says on page 61, the first requirements that Katie's got to be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Now, it says being convinced, right? That I have to be convinced, right there. On page 64, when we're going into the fourth step, it says being convinced that self manifested in various places what caused our failure. Then that means between 61 and 64, they just convinced me of the many different ways self shows up. See, you can see my personality. Oh, I am a lot coming at you. This is not news. To me, trust me. I mean, I'm the kind of girl, you know, I started doing something that's really startling. I, I seem to startle people. I walk up, and this is what people do. I go up to an elevator. I think I'm just walking up to an elevator. And they, you know, next thing you know, I, and they can be far away. They can be 15 feet away from me, and I think I'm just casually walking up. And they always are startled. And I thought, one guy, I said, did I just startle you? And he goes, yeah, you kind of came up on me like a ninja. <laughs> oh, my God. And I thought, you know, I've been doing that all my life, I'm sure. So it has become objectionable to me. I don't want to startle people. And I noticed that if you're in a hall with me, I, I just take this. And I don't even know I'm doing it. And you're kind of coming at me, and you can feel the tension. And it's just been a normal way of life. You talk about a constant collision that I have. It's constant. And what this is talking about is that I've got to be convinced I've got that or the behavior is not objectionable. And so that's what I'm going to find. The fourth step is going to be going to lay out how Katie shows up. And that's what the most important thing is. If you're the kind of personality self shows up for you that you fly self everywhere you go, see, you're no less alcoholic than I am. It's just a different way that self shows up for you. You know, I've had people come up to me and go, my God, I can see you're alcoholic. I'm like, oh, dude, this is just the way self shows up for me. I can show you some self-willed women that are not alcoholic. It's just the way I show up. But if you show up well put together, quiet, polite, not a nodding. That's just the way you show up with self. It doesn't mean if you're alcoholic or not. Are you with me on that? Did I explain that clear enough? And so, so that's what we're talking about. i got to see how I show up. This is such an individual deal. Um, Charlie, you tapped my phone, darling. Um, we are almost always in collision. That one says four minutes. Uh, and then it says here, it says, you know, um, I, I'm the actor running the whole show, right? Now, that never touched me. I don't know about you guys, but I am, I am not only the actor, I think I'm the director. How many of you guys have walked in somewhere and just tried to rearrange everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's normal for us. I mean, I guarantee you can come up with ten different ways that they could do the lighting in here, they could do the room, they could do the sound, they could do this. They could do. That's what we do. Everywhere we walk into, in our mind's eye, we're thinking about the many different ways, and some of us will actually do it. We'll actually go up to somebody and say, hey, listen, I just want to tell you. Right? And what we don't realize is we're just the actor in this show. We're not the director. How many of you guys that are working believe you could do a better job than your boss? 
that a hard one? Yeah, happy all didn't raise your hand. Come on. I'm not talking to the PTA, am I? So that's just it. I mean, you go to work and you go, can you believe this? I could do a better job than he does. And that's what we do. So we are, we are, we believe that we are the director of everything. So I've got this whole concept that I am the director of life. I am the sheriff. I mean, how many of you guys are the sheriff of your AA meeting? Oh, yeah. Am I getting home with several of y'all? It's getting kind of quiet out there. I mean, I, I am the cleavage police. I'll tell you what. If there's too much cleavage, we're going to have Let that shirt up a little bit, Missy. I mean, I am on it. I am on it. I am on it. And um, so that's what it's talking about. And then we have this delusion. If my arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be happy. It's Katie-topia. See, what I, what I want is I want to send out in the morning your script, and I need you to follow it. Is that asking too much? You know? Now, here's the best part. I may change it, but I won't tell you. But I'll expect that you can read my mind. Because, you know, I have a gift of reading minds. I don't know if you guys have that same gift. It's amazing, isn't it? I know exactly what you're thinking at all times. I'm quite proud of that. Um, and therein lies the insane delusion of why I am incapable of forming a true partnership with another human being. I constantly think I know what Charlie's thinking. And don't get me wrong. When you've spent enough time with somebody, your ego will say, oh, I absolutely do. And it's not true. It's not true at all. This morning I said something to Charlie, and I just said, are you done? And he just snapped my head off. Well, that's what I heard. Okay, we're not going to get into this right now. Let me take a second of my time. And so, and so I said something, and he snapped my head off, and I thought, and he goes, I didn't really appreciate that. And I thought, oh, my God, I was just asking if you're done. And he, you know, well, okay, I'm moving. Uh, so, I'm right, he's wrong. Let's move on. And uh, so... So what you have here, guys, is you've got the actor who's running the whole show. If everyone would do as I wish. So we've got this funnel. And I take my actions and I run them through this funnel with my motives, my delusion, and the, the worst grade I'm going to get is an A-. minus. Right? I'm going to see this as a good idea. I've got such a limited perspective. I have absolutely no idea my effect on others. I really don't. Have you ever heard somebody just come up and say something really stupid? Just walk right up to you and just say something stupid. And you kind of look at them and you think, well, that was stupid. But you just kind of go, huh, huh. Alcoholics Anonymous is unbelievable. You can have two people's heads together and somebody crying. And you look up and go, hey, what's going on? So what I want you guys to do is stop the emotion and bring me up to snuff. Okay, can you do that real quick? That's what I mean. We don't just walk up and go, oh, hey. If we do, we just stand back. I'm about done with those tears. Okay, wipe them up. We are, we are oblivious to the effect we have on others most of the time. Matter of fact, Bob Bazan says something funny. He says, get a bunch of people that you know and have them sit there and say, well, he, you know, he says to him, look, I'm having some trouble finding some of my character defects because you guys help me out. It, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking what people think of us. My daughter one time, she's 35, and I had a 
you know, my fitness business, I have for 30 years, she's also in the fitness business, and I wanted her to take my business. It was incredibly successful, and I just wanted to hand it over to her because I'm a giver. And uh, and so uh, she's, she's working out on the machine, and I said, uh, I said, April, you would be an idiot to not take my business. Now, I don't hear myself calling her an idiot. She did and for three days, she didn't call me. And we talk every day. And I call her, and now I know to say this. I don't say, what's wrong? I say, what did I do? Because I, I, know, I know I've done something. Because I, I know that about me already. And she said, Mom, you called me an idiot. And i got to tell you guys, I was overwhelmed with emotion. I remember the conversation. I remember saying it. And I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. But I had no idea that at that moment, I had called her an idiot. That's what I'm talking about. It's not that I'm malicious. Matter of fact, alcoholics are not malicious people. We're just incredibly self-centered. But we don't see it. And so, um, it, and then it goes on to say, so what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. This is the paragraph I live in with my sponsees. I sponsor about half the country. And I'm telling you something. You can sponsor a buttload of people. If you bring them back to the book, bring them back to the book, bring them back to the book. I'm not going to have the baby shower. I'm not going to be in your wedding. I'm not that sponsor. I am the sponsor that is going to get you connected to the power. Matter of fact, we're probably not even going to be good friends. Because the minute I become too good of friends with you, I lose my perspective. I all of a sudden don't like that guy you're dating at all. Look, tell me I don't get to be the arbiter of that. See, i got to be the one that listens to it. You heard Don last night talking about that eighth phone call. Oh, my God. Um, but so it says, so what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. Now, there we go. That's, he becomes, uh, oh, wait a second. I got, I've got too quick over into this page. He begins to think that life doesn't treat him right. Page 60 and 63. So what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. Right there is self-pity. Can you see that already coming in? He decides to exert himself more. There comes the toolkit of self-will. We just, uh, the paragraph above it goes over it. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. Actually, that person loves the crap out of me. I don't know about y'all. Self-sacrificer. Oh, come on and knock your head a little bit. You know, the one who goes, that's fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll be here. You know, go. You guys go. Go to Disneyland. I'll stay here. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're like, oh, stop it. And he says, on the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But with most humans, we have both traits. See, I'm, gonna, I'm like this guy. I am duking all the time. Which way can I do? We were talking about Kim and I talking about angles, man. We are angle people. I just got to see who you are. All of a sudden, I'm going to be super nice to you because that, that's how it works, man. You're such a dear friend. Now, you, I got to kind of boss you around a little bit. I mean, that's just what I got to do. And that's the way I get what I want. And then it says, he decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious. That's the duking going on. As the case may be, still the play doesn't suit him. Oh, my God. How many of you guys have picked up the phone to call somebody in hopes to set it straight and you get a bigger fight? Call number two. Oh, yeah. We all have that experience. Call it. it definitely happens in relationships. I mean, I call Charlie to tell him I'm sorry, and before you know it, I'm hanging up on him. It didn't go well. 
uh, admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure others were more to blame. That's where i got to say, I'm not the biggest fan of the term my part. Never have been. It's not in the literature anywhere. There is no my part. Let that sink in for a second. But when it's talking about to the man we hate, it says we're there to sweep off our side of the street, but that's to the man we hate. I mean, come on, that's not your mother, your sister, your brother. It's to the man we hate. See, it's all my part. And so there are there's about four different lines. It says the inventory was ours, not the other man. We disregard the other man entirely. Entirely. And that's tricky because, I mean, we love my part. And that's a, that's a tough one to get over. And it shows he becomes angry, indignant, and self-pity. Now, angry is column two. Indignant is column three, and uh, self-pity is column four. Do you see how the inventory is constantly trying to, you know, reveal itself to us? And then I, I love it. It says, isn't his basic trouble, is he really not a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Oh, you know what we call ourselves there in 2014? People, please. I'm a people, please. And I'd always tell my sponsors, well, do me a favor. Could you line up all the people you pleased over here so I can see who they are if you're such a people pleaser? And what we are is approval suckers. You know what I mean? There's no people pleaser in you at all. Remember, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. And so then it says, is he not a victim? I, 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 I coined this phrase all the time. I did it about three times last night. Is he not a victim? That means I'm tricked or beat by my own delusion, failure to see reality, that he can rest, seized by force, satisfaction, and happiness out of this world if I just manage well. See, guys, I don't even know I'm managing until the show doesn't come off. That's what the tenth step's all about. The tenth step, you know, I am to watch for resentment, dishonesty, selfishness, and fear. And when these crop up, so I'm watching for them. I'm not waiting for them. I'm watching for them. And when these crop up, I'm to ask God at once to remove them. At once. You hear the urgency? Talk to somebody immediately. That's pretty darn important. Uh, make amends quickly. You see, all urgency, and then turn my thoughts to someone I can help. Just my thoughts. I have to go help someone. Just my thoughts. It's getting me out of this self-centered mode back into this God-centered mode. Because on a daily basis, I am riddled with selfishness and self-centeredness. I don't get over free from it and not get to do a tense step ever. I'm constantly doing a 10th step. Now, I may not always be calling somebody right away, but I know I better shut up till I talk to somebody pretty quickly. You know why? They're going to get me to see it from a different angle. And when you can get me to see it from a different angle, you're going to be shocked over this. Guess whose angle it is? Not mine. The person is pissing me off. Let me see it from their angle because I'm blinded to their angle. All I see is my angle. And so it says, um, am I really not a producer of confusion rather than harmony? And I'm actually going to tell this story because it, it, it's so good. And then I'll end with that, honey. You can pick up where I left off. Um, that, not even going to look at it. Uh, so we, we have my, my oldest daughter. 
kidnapped the grandkids in the middle of the night and moved to Washington State, for God's sakes, as far as I'm concerned. But they, they got a great job and moved out there. So two of the grandbabies left. And so my son is married, and his, his wife was pregnant. And uh, they were squawking about maybe going to Colorado Springs. And I'm like, oh, you're not stealing another grandbaby. You hear any selfishness in that? Uh, it's all good, but you know what I mean? They're not taking another grandbaby. And so I'm like, oh, I said, Charlie, they cannot go to Colorado Springs, but they both work at a grocery store. They don't make much money. She's got family out there. And I said, and Charlie's business does very, very well. We're very, very fortunate. And I said, honey, would you do me a favor and just, you know, buy him a house? I don't, I don't think that was asking too much. And, 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 and he kind of came back with a, a house. And I said, well, you know, I mean, let's, let's help them buy a house. And so at that time, there's a little town outside of Austin that you could get a, a reasonable house, a starter house, for about $75,000. And, and, and Charlie said, I'll put $10,000 down and da 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 So I tell the kid this. Now, my, my daughter-in-law is getting big pregnant, and they live in what I consider a crack town in a duplex next to a um, sex offender. And the reason we know he's a sex offender because he knocks on your door to tell you. Texas. I don't know if you guys have to do that. You got to do that in Texas. So I'm like, we're taking my grand. Now my son could live there all his life, but not my grandbaby. And so, um, so I take the kids and I offer them this, and they get so excited. They're like, oh my gosh! And I said, listen, you know, it'll be great. Your house came up five years, six fifty, yada yada yada. So we go to look at this. I get a guy in AA that's a friend of mine, brand new realtor. We're all going to wet our feet together. You know what I mean? Well, he is not moving fast enough for me. Are you with me on that? Not moving quick enough. He's not showing up when I need him. So I've convinced him to give me a little key to all the houses. Yeah, he just kind of punched that little thing. Just break a few rules. But, you know, nobody's going to get hurt here. And so, uh, and I have the key to get in any house in Austin. I want to, but I'm keeping it, I'm keeping it real. And so, you know, I'm only going into the houses I want to look at, and you meet me there later. And, and so I start to realize that the $75,000 houses don't look as good as the $85,000 houses. And the $85,000 houses are pretty good. But the 95 look a whole lot better than the 85. So I think a $95,000 house would be good. And Charlie Pine needs to put $20,000 down now. And so I've got to wait till he's in the right place before I hit him with the next 10000 Are you with me? But it's my husband. Come on. We're always juking in a marriage. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so the next thing you know. It's taken about six months. She's about ready to have that baby, and I have found a $125,000 house that will knock your socks off. And these kids are young. They don't know. And so Sam walks in, and they're like, this is going to be our house. I'm like, yep. Pretty impressive, huh? And so the realtor is going to come over that night, and we're waiting on him, and we're going to sign the papers and everything. And so Sam says to me, hey, Mom, he goes, what's the payment going to be? And I thought, oh. I said, well, we can look on the Internet. You know, you can just click right into that little calculator, and it comes up at like $1,200 a month. And he goes, $1,200 a month, Mom? And he Burst into tears. And you know when those boys cry. Oh, the moms are so weak. You boys are bad when the daughters cry. We're bad when the boys cry. He bursts into tears. Uh, little bitty ashes, like 95 pounds. Of course, she's pregnant now. She's all of like 110. But she buries her head in Charlie's shoulders. She's falling. And all of a sudden, I swear you guys, I saw 
that I was a producer of confusion rather than harmony. This beautiful experience started to run on my power. And so what was I to do? I looked at Charlie immediately and said, just write a check for the whole house. Just write a check for the whole house. And I said, he goes, I am not about to do that. I could become more demanding and gracious as the case may be. I swear, we'll have sex every 20 minutes. I swear to God, okay? Whatever you need, baby, whatever you need. I never fulfilled that commitment, but you know, I don't know that. And so, so then, but the next thing that happens is I go outside to talk to Sam, and Sam goes, he goes, uh, and he's crying, and he's angry, and he can't believe it. He said, Mom, you told me the house payment would be 650 And I think remember to say Thank you. And then I said, you know what, son, I'll help you with the mortgage payment. No, I didn't want to do that either. How many of y'all have said that? And about two of them later, you're like, okay, I'm sick of this. Too much. Yeah, it's not going to work. And he goes, you know, Mom, I don't want your help. He goes, I'm getting ready to be a father. I need to do this on my own. And then he and Ashley drove off. Oh, producer of confusion rather than harmony. And it was so painful, guys. And if we put the whole house still on hold, my sponsor said, you must cease and desist. <laughs> and give that key back to that ritual for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, now, guys, this is like three years ago. Okay, I don't, I don't be misled that I got any sort of angel wings back here cooking. And so... Long story short, about three months later, go by to have the baby. Everything's great. The group of this beautiful house comes by. You know, they, I'm on that auto kick out of my computer, and I see it, and I call my sponsor. I said, Marty, would you please go look at this house with me? And she said, absolutely. And we went and looked at the house. It was absolutely perfect. It was on a cul-de-sac. It was 85000 It was perfect. It turned out to be the best house. But I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you guys something. That house, yes, God's will, no doubt about it. They're supposed to be there. I mean, it's turned out to be great. God's will was a ton of houses out there. I couldn't see them because I knew what I wanted. See, God wasn't waiting for just this house. There was probably ten houses. I was just focused on what I want. And when I'm focused on what I want, I have a set of blinders on me, and I don't know I do. But I am that victim of the delusion that I'm trying to wrest satisfaction and happiness. And I've got enough experience that sometimes that actually works for me. And so, I'm done with it. Thanks, guys. Hi, everybody. I'm Charlie. I'm very grateful we're coming off Hollywood. Where's my guy? Can you hear me? Where's he at? My man, all right. I'll do my best. I'm terrible about backing away from the microphone. I mumble like I'm a drunk. I've had Katie sometimes. You know how on a cell phone you can leave somebody a message and you can forward a message to somebody else? I've had Katie forward my message back to me and go, you tell me what you're saying. And I swear to God, I listen to it next week. And I'm like, oh my God, I sound like I'm drunk. You know, I, I, I had a cop pull me over one time, and uh, he goes to, to my wife at the time, and he goes, How much does your husband have to drink? And she goes, My husband doesn't drink. And he goes, Does he always talk like that? And she told me that when I got back in the car, and I'm like, What is that supposed to mean? You know? You know, I want to hit on a couple things. Good job, Katie. We live in these 60 to 63. My four sponsees must be sat out there going, oh, no. 
I got a sponsor that's only read three pages out of the big book, you know, because that's all we talk about. But, you know, there's a thing here on 13 in Bill's story where he says, my friend promised me that when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things with the essential requirements. It happens again uh, to Fred in Fred's story, where on page 42, he says, It meant I'd have to throw several lifelong conceptions out of the window. You know what I loved about Fred? This has nothing to do with it, but I love Fred. I love everything about Fred because I love the fact that they finally come to him and uh, and, they, and they, they, they lay it out to him and he, he thinks it's good stuff and they don't really need it and then he gets drunk again and he's flat on his back in the hospital again and they come back to see him again and he says, you know, yeah, okay, this time I think I really need it. Here's where I fell in love with Fred. After all that, he says, and they have told in their stories that since this process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. That's why they're telling all this. Snuff out that last flicker of conviction. I do and then here's what I tell them all the thread. He goes, the program of action, though entirely reasonable, was pretty drastic. <laughs> Is that my man? You know? He's there you going, I know I'm powerless and I got a fatal illness and I said, but God dang, man, you know, really? That's kind of drastic, you know? And he says, I have to throw several lifelong conceptions out the window. And he goes, quite as important with the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. We're talking about relationships stuff here. We're talking about selfishness and self-centeredness. We're talking about the way it shows up. The whole book talks about when you see that thing that I missed for so long, and I used to be embarrassed to say that I missed it for so long, until I found out I had so much company. There, there are so many people in the room. Most of us, I think, when we, I think most people in, in the room of AA, they think doing AA means not drinking and going back to those meetings. I really believe that a person who's worked all 12 steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is in the minority in terms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't like that. You know, that's why I don't mind being out here talking about it. But when we talk about this thing on page 60, like Katie was talking about, it changes everything. We work a lot with a thing we call a set-aside prayer. Because a lot of times, I don't know about you guys, but I read this book and I'm not looking for new information. I'm looking for ways I'm already right. Right? You know, I look at the head and go, mm -hmm. oh yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> part where it says that, you know, oh yeah, <laughs> Jay Walker. <laughs> you know, and then I go, oh, you can't tell me anything about this line. I've already got it highlighted and underlined, you know. <laughs> and, and we work with this thing called the suicide prayer. And the suicide prayer just goes something like this. We go, God, please help me to set aside everything I think I know about myself, the fellowship, the big book, even you, God. Help me have an open mind so that I can have a new experience. Help me to see the truth. Something like that. Because a lot of times what I think I know stands in the way of the truth. I'm reading this book. It's called a confirmation bias. Where I'm looking for things that just support what I already believe. And I just kind of shine on the stuff that I don't know about. And that's what I did with this stuff on 63 for a long time. And, you know, when it says uh, about how we try to get everything to go, and then it says... 
driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they hurt us. Sometimes they retaliate. Okay, so then we, we invariably find we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position we are. One of the biggest promises in the big book right here is it says, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. Why would that be a promise? Because if Gnosis is basically, Bill uses the word basis and basic and basic, basically a lot as the, the fundamental principle of my life or the underlying foundation of my life. And when the basis of my life is that I got this, I'm almost always in collusion and, and I don't even know it, but I, I'm, and, and I'm, and I'm hurting people and I don't even know it. And I don't know why. You know, the treadmill today, what she said, I got my fat butt on the treadmill and I don't get credit for that, but I, uh, I also. One of the things I found out in our relationship, when he talks about being driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and stuff, the inventory process is about finding out what drives me. Because I don't know. Mark used to say, well, I'm driven by fear. It's like a limousine pulls up and you get in and there's no handles on the inside of the door. And the driver says, hello, my name is Fear. I'll be driving you today. You don't know where you're going or how you're going to get back, but uh, I'll be driving you today. And, and it turns out, like one thing, any one time she goes, oh, if you tap into your shame, uh, I mean, if you, there's a tone of voice, a shaming tone of voice, all you got to do is go, Charlie. I'll kill both of us if I have to. You know, I mean, the gloves come off like that high and I didn't even know it. Most of what happened with Kevin Lee, she heard me saying, are you, heard herself saying, are you finished? What I've done, I've done a heck of a job because I had to sneak a five-way chili yesterday. So I go get on this treadmill this morning, and at the end of the time, my whole time, I'm supposed to do this many minutes, I do that many minutes, I don't bail out, I don't get off. And she didn't say, how are you finished? She said, are you quitting? You see, the, you see the difference? You see the difference? I get up and I go, well, no, I'm not quitting. I'm finished. You know, and she's like, are you mad at me? And, you know, I mean, I don't know I've done that kind of stuff. And then says, I'm almost always in collision, even though my motives are good. I don't know this stuff. You know, you were just, the thing Mark used to say, the problem with living a life based on self is I have very little awareness of my effect on other people. One of the downsides of a life based on self is you just, you roll along and you look up and somebody's crying or somebody's pissed off and you're like, what? You know, and, then, and they, you know, well, my whole life it wouldn't have mattered. Well, I'm going to talk some about some of the tools we've done in our relationship, but uh, I want to talk about that list we did earlier. But with my whole, bit, this self piece on 60 and 63, it says it's the root of my problem. It says being convinced that self manifests in various ways is what it defeated us. We, in the fourth step, we consider self's common manifestations. So now that self is the problem, all the fourth step is about is considering the common ways that self shows up. When we get to the eighth step, it says we attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live life on self-will and rather show ourselves. What did I do when I would read these pages before? I'm you, I was never touched by this stuff. Now it's become the drive. How am I selfish? Where did I sit? All my 10th step calls with Fonties now are where did you make decisions based on self? How did you uh, set the ball rolling? How did you place yourself in a position to be armed? What were you driven by? What's your third call? How can we look at this from an entirely different angle? And that's what all our work is about. There's a thing on the bottom of page 66 that I've never seen a part of any fourth step guide. And it's such a powerful piece of work where it says we realize that the people 
book tanks in their places. So here's what's objectionable. Do you admit it's objectionable? Do you have the power to change it? Go to God with it. Now go clean it up. And that becomes, you know, this, this whole process of four through nine. And so when, I, when we get to travel and I get to work with guys a lot of times, you know, the, the biggest place, if I have a short amount of time with the guy, the biggest place I get to move guys is with this new understanding of the third step. We're just going to get an hour and a half car ride with you. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Selfishness, self-centeredness, root of our problem, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm trying to, I want to, some of this, actually I'm going to tie into relationship, believe it or not, but I, uh, um, the thing about it, I go out to uh, Idaho, I'm doing a men's workshop, and I got a sponsor with me, and, uh, and we're going to go out there, and they pick us up at Salt Lake, and we're going to drive up to this hot springs in, in uh, Idaho, or, yeah, I think it was Idaho. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, uh, and, and I know I got really nervous because they said the Sunday morning meeting is in the hot tub. And I'm like, what? And it's a men's conference. And it turns out the hot tub is like a half an acre. But um, anyway, we're going up there and this guy, uh, Ryan, he picks us up. And we're riding, no, Sean is his name. And we're riding along and I got Jay with him, my sponsor. And he knows this is all we talk about. I mean, we're pounding selfishness and self-centeredness as the root of our problem. And it's a real game changer. So we're riding along and I'm kind of pitching him on the whole selfishness and self-centeredness thing. Well, these guys were really good soldiers. I mean, one of the things they did was that their, every Friday at their house, they would cook a big lunch, bring the newcomers over there. We'll, we'll come for a free meal. And then while they're there, they're pounding them with the steps of the big book and God and our recovery program and why aren't you doing it? And that's what I think. Great guys. Anyway, we're sitting there. And you know, Peter was talking about this guy going, you know, I got a broke finger or that sort of thing. And, well, this guy's talking. And we're sitting around in the living room. He goes, oh, man. He goes, my first wife. Oh, that shit was crazy. God almighty. Was that one crazy, you know, so-and-so. And I'm listening. And he goes, my second wife. Well, she likes, I mean, she was really, and this chick I just broke up with about four months ago, oh my God, riding on the hood of the car, and all this stuff, and, and we're sitting there, and I go, hey, uh, Sean, can I offer something for your consideration? And he goes, sure, what? And his sponsor is sitting there with him, and uh, yeah, it's his sponsor, and, and uh, I said, how do you find yourself in a relationship with all these crazy women? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I mean, were they crazy when you started dating them? Or is it possible that the only difference between the way they were when you started dating them and the way they were when you divorced them was the effect of spending this amount of time with somebody as selfish and self-centered as you are? And his sponsor stood behind him and his sponsor goes, Say that again. <laughs> you know? And, and, oh, my God. It's a history changer. It's a game changer. It can go back. I mean, if you'd have asked me what happened in my first marriage, I would have told you that she cheated on me and I don't roll like that and that was it and I'm out. Right? If you ask me today what happened in my first marriage, there's a very good chance I would tell you that I exhibited a level of selfishness and self-centeredness in that marriage that would have driven anybody crazy and would have driven anybody out the door or into the arms of somebody else. And I didn't know it. I was so selfish and self-centered that it drives people nuts, and I didn't know it. Now, you talk about rewriting history. Now, all of a sudden, okay, that's the second time you've been up and down there. And you're the one that couldn't hear me talking all right, I'm screaming into the microphone just for you. So I, I, I'm not going to say there's any selfishness involved, but yeah. I, um, that's the guy that came up and said, I couldn't hear you. Man. 
I swear to God, when we talk about self-will and a room full of alcoholics and honest, it is off the chain. I mean, you watch a group like us, six people adjust the thermostat. You know, I mean, have you ever noticed that? Did y'all hear the music coming out? Not from over there, but the one coming out through the PA system last night. Oh, I'm in the back of the house between me and Greg. I don't notice we're going to turn off. But, uh, um, self-will is good as far as it went. But it didn't go far enough. It didn't fully solve the fear problem. You know, and, and, it, and it talks about that all through the work, perhaps we're on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. You know, talking about this, this stuff, you know, um, one of the things we look at is manifestations of self. We're always looking at manifestations of self. And one of the things that we see common in ourselves, and in, well, of course, Katie spots it in me, and then I spot it in everybody else, but... One of the things we talk about a lot is in workshops, is, as far as manifestation itself, is what we call story stealing. I want to leave this one with you because you can have some fun with this one. Story stealing is rampant in our hearts and hearts. Maybe not in Ohio, but it's all over Texas. And what story stealing is, especially for a guy like me, is where you, we were in a party one time, and this guy came up to me and he goes, Hey, man, what's up? I go, Hey, everything's good. What are you doing? He goes, I'm going to go to Costa Rica. And I go, Oh, Costa Rica. Dude, I've been to Costa Rica three times. One time I went down there with 14 of my buddies. We stayed at Melia Cagliari. We played golf the whole time we were there. We went to this wonderful place where we wrapped in the, the river and went out to Huckle Beach and all this stuff. And then I swear to God, I turned around and I walked away. And this poor bastard is standing there. He never got to tell his Costa Rica story because I stole it. You know, the story stealing is where you start a story. And your story reminds me of one of my stories, and my story is much more interesting than your story. So I come over the top of your story with my story, and Katie's not standing there going, I'll listen to your Costa Rica story, you know, you know and I don't even know, I don't even know. Oh, okay, so I'm going to, you know what it says, neither can we reduce self-reflex by trying on our own power. I don't know this is happening. I got Katie watching me all the time. We were at a conference one time, and about, you know, all the speakers go out uh, for dinner one night. And well, now I'm going to be less selfish. So one of the things I thought, let's don't dominate the conversation. Let's don't talk about ourselves the whole time. Let's try to draw somebody else in the conversation. So the Alamon speaker is there with us, and she's sitting there, and I think, well, I'll draw her in the conversation. And I told you I love Alan Al, but sometimes, you know, I mean, and anyway, it's, there's a reason they meet in a different room from us. It's, it's a different thing. And, and so I ask her a question. I mean, like, so where, where, where are you from? What are you doing? And she starts talking, and in my mind, I must respond. Oh, for God's sake. You know, and, and I mean, and I turn around, and I start talking to somebody else. And Katie goes, Charlie, you just asked her a question. And then you turn around while she's in the middle of answering. And I went, oh, oh, um, yeah, so go ahead. You know, and I mean, so, uh, you know. I mean, the depth of my shallowness is mind-blowing. You know, I mean, you know, when, when we talk about this level of selfishness going on in the work, and you carry that into a relationship, and you start seeing why I'm incapable of forming a, a relationship, a true relationship, partnership with another person. We're out with Bob B. in Las Vegas. And, and he had, I love Bob. He's a good friend of ours. And he had another good friend of ours. And he sponsors. And we all go out for Thai food. And we're sitting there in this restaurant. And Bob's single. This guy's single. And it's me and Katie. And we're talking, and we start talking about it. And I have this theory that I call the four phases of a relationship. 
You see this with friends, you see this with sponsors, you see this with uh, significant others. So I'm, I'm going to you know, expound upon my theory of the four phases of the relationship. So we're sitting there and I say, okay, now the first phase of a relationship is the infatuation stage. And that's the best joke there is. You know, I mean, you know that one? That's the one where I love you and you love me and I, you know, we're even, I love you, I love us together more than any of that. And, you know, music makes me think of you and the sky is bluer and food is better and oh my God, I just love you so much. And, you know, and, you know, and, you know, and the only thing we ever fight about is who loves each other more. You know, and, you know, and, and so, you know, you know, we just like, oh, and, and so and I said, now stage two, that's stage one. I said, now stage two is where you start to notice a couple of things about them that aren't quite perfect. You know, just little things here and there, you know. I mean, you know, the way they eat or the way they, you know, whatever. That thing with the towel and the sink or, uh, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, but, um, and then, but then and okay, so that's stage two, you know. Well, stage three is where all I can see are the things that bother me. You know, oh my God, this woman, you know, breathing in and out, in and out, you know, and out. You know, and, and the best thing about this is I'm telling this story. Mark is sitting there with us and he goes, hold on just a minute. I go, what? He goes, are you about to tell me there's a stage after that one? You know? <laughs> it's like, that's as far as I've ever made it, you know? <laughs> to me, stage four, I thought it was a fantastic story, but the, the, to me, stage four in a relationship, this is where I get to the point where I go, you know what, they're not perfect, but I love them, and I'll take them just the way they are, and I'm, in for, I'm down for the deal, and, and, and we'll roll like that. And I have to do that with my friends, I have to take, do that with my spouse, I have to do that, you know, if you want to be a perfect uh, boyfriend, don't expect a perfect girlfriend, you know, if you want to be a perfect husband, don't expect a perfect wife, because we're going to fall short, and that's the sort of stuff that we have to do. But carrying this selfishness into these relationships, and oh my God, there's a line in the book, I love it, I think it's in the family afterward, where it talks about it, because, you know, it would be nice if we could just come in and work the steps and just cruise, you know, but the, we wouldn't need a tenth step if that was the case. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get resentful. I'm going to get selfish. I'm going to get delusional. And I need to have somebody I'm thinking that stuff, too. And Katie and I, oh, my God, you talk about if one alcoholic in a relationship is a whole lot, you know, uh, two and, you know, and plus, we are like type A, type A, you know, so it just kind of goes, you know, like this. And uh, we got in a big fight. And, and, and plus, the brother-sister thing, we get to go, one time we were doing a workshop in, in Canada. There were 250 people there. And you see how we fight over the microphone. And we're sitting there, and I go, how long do I have? Because you're done. I go, I am not done. I just, I mean, I've got to you 10 extra minutes. I gave you 10 minutes so you can finish the stupid story about the house. And, now, you know, and, and she goes, no, you didn't. It's time for you to and, and, we, and then all of a sudden, I go, <laughs> and I look out, and there's 250 people going, these are our facilitators? You know, our kids sometimes go, what? we're like, this is fighting. This is just discussion, you know? I mean, you know, but, uh, um, what might I say? I don't know. How much time do you have? I don't know. We're in an hour and two minutes. Well, I mean, the thing is, with all this stuff, that sick man exercise, I want to tell you about making amends. When we do amends cards, one of the things we do is we write on there the, the, the person we've harmed, 
the nature of the amends, or no, their contact information, the nature of the amends, and then I put three questions on every card. And, and, and the first question is, how can I make this right? Second question is, have I harmed you in any other way? And the third question is, do you want to tell me how this made you feel? And after every question, there's the same thing. It says, shut up and listen. Have I harmed you in any other way? Shut up and listen. Do you want to take, tell me how this made you feel? Shut up and listen. How can I make this right? Shut up and listen. And the reason I talk about that is because living a life based on selfishness and self seeking I have so little concept of how I've harmed people. I'm going through the immense process, and I sit down with Katie, and I mean, she broke up with me 21 times while we were dead. 22. 22 times. And not because she's crazy, but I had a lot, she had a free look at me for a long time. I was a little doggish, and, and uh, uh, I was a little leaner back then, and, uh, and my, my kill rate was much higher back then. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and she's watching all this behavior, and, and I mean, I don't know this stuff is going, but I sit down and I make amends with her. The thing about this question about have I harmed you in any other way, was I make amends with all this stuff, and then I go, you know what, honey, um, if you want to take some time, and consider this stuff and, and, look, and write down the other ways that I've harmed you that I may not be aware of, I did want to sit down and have another conversation with you, and, and, uh, and we could address that stuff. She goes, okay, thank you. So, so we're rocking along one day, and, and am I the only guy that brings, it's so stupid that I like to bring up like really harmful, stupid stuff I've done in the past, you know, where you go, hey, remember that time I, uh, <laughs> you know, and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that, you know, uh, you know, and remember the time I touched that waitress's hair, you know, she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's on the list, and I go, what list is that, right? and, and she goes, you told me I could take some time to consider other ways that I'm harmed you, and I went, Oh, wait a minute. Look, I mean, I meant this is seven months later. I meant like a few days. Her sponsor didn't know she had the list. I didn't know she had the list. And every time she did something to think of, she goes, oh, man. You know, so we sit down, and now the cat's out of the bag. She knows that she, her sponsor's not going to let her make the list anymore. We sit down at the table. I used to have the list with me. I wish I could show it to you. Because we sat down, and I wrote down everything she said. There were 32 items on that list. Every one of them was a legitimate harm. Not one of them was on my mind. And I sat there and listened to that list. And we went over the whole thing. And I was just like, oh, my God. And, and you're going to be using words like selfish, dishonest, and delusional, and inconsiderate, and thoughtless, and those sorts of things. And we sat there. And what I didn't see was that at the end of that list, there was that Rolodex she had in her hand. And every time I would piss her off, it would spin right into that Rolodex, and all the things I'd ever done to hurt her, and she said that day when we cleared that stuff up, that Rolodex went, and now it didn't come up, you know, when, when we fired. I don't mind we got a fire relationship. We sponsor about 75 people between us, and the relationship skills, but it's always taken back to where were you thought Dishonest, delusional, it's in, uh, inconsiderate. Where did you set the ball rolling? Where did you make decisions based on self? Have you thought about looking at it from an entirely different angle? Is it possible that they were driven by this? And uh, did you ever consider that? And I mean, you talk about a game changer. I mean, Hardly ever will tell a sponsor what to do, but I like to be able to get them connected with the power, see where they've been making decisions based on self, and let them and the power work out that relationship. Because for God's sake, you don't want Charlie Parker being the arbiter of your sex life. I've been married four times. 
long thing is in the third step it says, being all-powerful, he provided what we needed under two conditions, and stay close to him, perform his work well. All I can tell you is that I've been all in on that deal for about 10 or 12 years. Problems come up in my life, and they don't have the speaking power they used to have. It's unbelievable how God is in the middle of everything. And all I can tell you is it says, stay close to him, perform his work well, he'll provide what we need. Since I've been doing that deal, God's been doing a really kick-ass job of holding up his end of the deal. I spent half my time in AA. I'm in the best financial position I've ever been in. I'm happier than I've ever been in. I'm in the best relationship I've ever been in. My family's better off. And, you know, and it's all, it seems like it's coming so easy. You know, but we just stay in this deal. You stay in your work. You're constantly doing 10 steps, going to people, having guys like, God bless Michael Harris. He's taking 10 steps from both of us. You know, we know where you call and, uh, and you hear about it. And, 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 and when he shows me stuff on that, I hand this stuff out to my sponsors over and over and over again, and I'm blind to it in myself. I called Michael one time, I'm going to this. I called Michael one time, and Katie had been, had, had somebody attack her, you know, something she said in Cape Cod. Well, damn near, you nearly attacked them. And uh, we were in Cape Cod, and somebody was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. We were someplace else, and uh, and this person objected to something she had said, and it was about to hold this whole thing. And, I, and so I, she sent a really ugly email, and I get I get the email, and Katie's not the words, but she goes to FBO on about line three. And, but I write out a brilliantly worded email that basically talks about that's not what she was saying. What she was saying is that the women in the area don't need the men to mount our white stallions with our sword and shield and defend them. They can defend themselves and go put them with a the strong woman. And they can take care of it. And all this stuff, and I'm right there. And this is, I mean, the world is going to be a better place with this email. I mean, it is brilliantly worded. And I call Mike up, and I read it, because there's, I've learned there's no unsend button on the computer. And, you know, and I've written this great email, and I thought, you know what? Let's just call for this minute. So then I wait about a half hour, and I call Mike, and I read it to him, and, and uh, it's good, you know what I mean? And I read it. And he goes, can I ask you one a question, John? I said, sure, what is it? And he goes, when you type that email, yeah, he goes, were you mounted on your white stallion? <laughs> you see how blind I am to my, in myself now, in my sponsors? You've got to have somebody that you can go to that's going to take it to a different angle. Whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whether it's people, whether it's sponsors, whether it's my deal with business. These spiritual principles acted in my life, staying close to removing what's blocking me from this power, staying close to the power and performing his work well. This stuff starts to work itself out. But I've got to be willing to look at, is there a problem here? Is it possible you know, that I'm the jerk in this situation? And, and I, 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 can't, I can't even tell you how much happier that I've ever been in my life. I, uh, I'm so grateful for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm so grateful to people that are working it at a different level. I mean, it, this this deal works, in, you know, and I mean, there's a thing in there where it says it should be the privilege of each person to say this is getting heated, let's talk about it later. It has to be a privilege as you've granted each other where you've said in advance. If it gets too hot, we're going to have to be able to back off and come back at it later. Because that's not going to be, if you say we're going to talk about it later, you're, I'm like, well, by God, we're going to talk about it right now, you know, unless we've established that in advance. Um, I don't know if we've helped anybody with any of that stuff, but I, uh, all I can tell you is that in my experience, it's the best part of my life, and I'm so grateful for your people for it. Thank you.